witches, and welcome to Witch Space. I'm Gemini. And I'm Scorpio. And today's book, you know, it's going to be a little bit different this, this day. Today we have Carl Jung's book, Four Archetypes, Mother, Rebirth, Spirit, and Trickster. Which I am very excited to talk about. Me too. I think it's going to go differently than other books just because... We've t- said this before about other books. This is a meaty book. This is a small yeah. book, right? A hundred and something. It's, it's, it's not even 200 pages. It's like 150 pages. But it's not quick reading. Now, why are we reading this instead of another book written by a witch? We've mentioned this book in the podcast. Other witches reference this book. And one of the things that we talked about for year five was, let's get into it. Let's get into the nitty gritty, what's going on with witches. And to do that, I think sometimes when you see a book that pops up in so many renowned witches books, you got to say to yourself, why am I just reading about this secondhand? I should pick up the book and I should see what's in it. Yeah. And that's kind of what we did. We decided, let's go to some of these books. And this is one that popped up over and over and over again. And of course, why is it important? So what are archetypes? That's probably the first thing we should just say before we yeah. dive into the four archetypes. Well, and that's a so. complicated question to answer in and of itself. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are archetypes? Let's spend 20 minutes talking about it. So they're basically like archaic symbols, right? And these these symbols exist in our collective unconscious. So what's the collective unconscious? I was, I was just thinking, I was just thinking, what the fuck kind of <laughs> definition was that? So I think the part of the thing that we have to talk about is like a lot of these terms we see even outside of the context of young, because I think a lot of people in the witchcraft community hear collective unconscious or like you'll hear it sometimes as the Akashic records. Um, you'll hear it as gene keys uh, sometimes nowadays, like this reference to an understanding that is innate in all uh, in all living beings and all humans that connects us together um this was something that it comes from young this reference and so then you take from that okay well all of these people have we all have inside of us all of the knowledge of our previous ancestors um which like fun fact we kind of do that's the study of epigenetics and like how proteins change the way that your dna works it's very cool everybody should google it but we take this on a more spiritual, psychological level, this collective unconscious, what is in the collective unconscious? And I think that's when we start talking about archetypes and the idea of right. an archaic symbol. And before we even jump into that, I realized we just jumped into it because I think we're excited to talk about it. So excited. But I always do a little bit, we always do a little bit of a bio and I didn't yes. do that this time. So who is this guy? So he was born in 1875, died in 1961. And Swiss psychologist, he founded analytical psychology. He studied under Freud. Here's the thing. A lot of the things that he, well, first of all, things that Freud has come up with, people have debunked. And Jung has been debunked by a lot of the psychological community. That doesn't mean that his stuff is invaluable. That's one. Two, remember the years that I just said, 1875 and 1961. Yeah. There's there's problematic writing in here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, we can't get around it. It's homophobic. It is, oh God, it's everything. Every ism, every whatever that it can be is in here. So then why read it? Well, just like a lot of other things, again, he is, when you take all that stuff aside, when you take away 
a lot of these things that you would expect somebody that was born in 1875 to believe and not challenge. He's seeing the world through that lens. Yeah. This lens of, you know, um, heteronormativity and, you know, uh, gender binary and all that. So that's his lens. However, the stuff he talks about about when it comes to the archetypes is is valuable. So I'm just going to say, if you're going to pick this up, just keep that in mind about this guy. And again, not excusing the way he thought, but it was a time period. I think there's a larger conversation here, too, because I, I, you know, we talked in our episode with Laura Tempest-Zakroff that we did that you guys have heard. Um, We talked about that. We talked about the gender binary and like the moving away from patriarchal structures. And I think that within witchcraft and within the witchcraft community, we're, we're really trying to do that. But you can't unpack these things without knowing where they came from, because I don't think a lot of people think of like the idea of the collective unconscious and go, oh, that's homophobic. But it does, it, it is coming from a piece of work that does have a lot of problematic aspects. And if you don't know that, you're not going to be able to then go, okay, well, how can I try to separate myself from these ideologies that I don't believe in, right? Like if you just are going to take an archetype at face value, you are kind of buying into what Young said. And so, yeah, as much as it's like, ugh, I don't like reading these things, Sometimes you have to read it to be able to know where it is hiding in your community. That's a really good point because it's hiding everywhere. Even yeah. in a lot of witches read tarot. And when you're looking at the symbolism in the cards, what is the archetype that these symbols are tapping into? Yeah. And you might say, well, not me, right? Not me. I, I, I know. Yes. Your conscious you is not any of these things, right? It's not racist, not homophobic, blah, 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 blah. But unconsciously, as a society, we do have these norms, and they're even in our practice. So, Geminis, I love that you said that. Unless we unpack it, unless we look at it, then how are we going to know? And also, you know, when you think about where do things originate from, where do they come from? Yeah. Yeah. I do, before we dive... Yeah. You have a background in psychology. <laughs> Go ahead, yeah. <laughs> um, did studying Jung change the way that you interacted with these concepts in your own practice? Because I think a lot of people don't have that background to be like, well, I actually did read this at a formative time. This is actually something that was part of my life. Like, how did that play into developing your practice? Okay, so I was a psych major in college, and I've always talked about when I retire, since teachers retire kind of on the young side, I would like to go back and do something with it. So um, it's always something that I'm interested in. And the book that I read, I showed Gemini before we started recording, is my book from college that I've kept. And that's the weird thing is that I've kept it all these years. Mm -hmm. Where did I keep it? I kept it with my witch stuff. This was not in, I have, so okay, so a little bit about me. So I have a whole wall in my living room that's just books. And I have a bookshelf in my office where my witch books are. This was with my witch books up here, not downstairs. Now I have other psychology books that are downstairs that I just never got rid of. And um, actually, it's funny. I I just did a a cleaning. I always say I I recycle because I take books to the library. And um, I I still had all my Freud books. I just dumped all of those recently. Yeah. 
Because I'm like, I, I've never in my life come back to that. However, inside of my young book, I showed her, there's a post-it that says, black candle on crossing oil. <laughs> Seals. I need unhexing, uncrossing, protection, uh, change, and balance. I have no idea why I wrote that. Because I should have written what it was doing in this book. But if I'm going to think about it just quickly, it definitely made me think of the mother and the father archetypes when it comes to my practice, right? When I was reading this, and I even wrote it in my notes here, when he's talking about three, this idea of the masculine being inside of the feminine in the three, because three is kind of feminine. And I think of maiden mother crone. I think about all these things when we talk about three being a magical number, not just mm -hmm. when it comes to Wicca, but even in Greek mythology, this idea of multiples of three. Um, where does that come from? So did it help me? I'm not going to say that like, oh, I became a better witch because of it, but it did make me think of things because it's not just that you have to extrapolate this information and try to make it your own. He actually says things about pagans and yeah. we're different. So he's actually kind of giving it to you too. Um, <laughs> just like, here you go. Yeah. Think about this now, right? Yeah. So I now remember the question. So did did it help me at all? Um it definitely made me think. It made me think of the symbols I was using. It made me think of the connections to other things, right? If I have a seal that I know for a fact is Golden Dawn, and Golden Dawn is connected to, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. what is, in a way, it, it almost brings everything together in that it doesn't matter where the origins came from. This collective unconsciousness, this idea that we all know deep inside what works, what might be valid, just kind of helps your practice. So yeah, I don't know if that answered the question. I think I just I think went so. off on something else, but okay. No, I think it did. Okay. Do we want to so well, start? Well, I was just going to say, do we want to start from the introduction? But what I'm realizing is, does <laughs> does my book look the same as yours? Because mine is like a, an ebook from now. Oh, I didn't even think to ask I you have, that. I have an introduction from, hold on. Oh, it doesn't say. I guess it's his introduction. The hypothesis of a collective unconscious Yes, okay, belongs. so let's start in the introduction then. Okay. Sometimes, but that's the part of the problem also. Like, at least with witch books, they don't really have a ton of editions. But, like, a psychological book like this can have multiple editions. And, it's like, true. my book is pulled from um, his collected works. So it's not even, like this is the original just the four archetypes it's what was put into his final works and then pulled back out to make an ebook oh wow yeah okay so that's it's one so of the things actually it's probably good to bring up with everybody is like you should know what edition you're reading in these non-witchy texts because they might be different they might have different information or like added information into it hmm all right no, now I'm thinking, what, what what does your book look like? Now I'm curious. Anyway, go ahead. Well, I mean, it looks like my phone. <laughs> but um, I would like to talk That's about... That's not what I meant. I know. In the introduction, he does define collective unconscious. And I, you know, I think we did a pretty solid job of that. But I want to talk about the archetype a little bit as a concept because he does sort of specify that, like, this is a quote, the archetype is essentially an unconscious content that is altered by becoming conscious and by being perceived and it takes its color from the individual consciousness in which it happens to appear so every single person i guess foundationally has a different archetype 
because they're pulling from the archetype of the collective unconscious into their conscious and it modifies in that way. And it sort of was giving me like Schrodinger's cat. Like you don't know if the cat is dead or alive until you open the box. You don't know the true nature of the archetype because you can never really access the unconscious without making it your own consciousness. By the way, the answer to that is the cat is dead. Okay. Um. <laughs> well, okay, that that's true because Schrodinger's, it was like a satire. It was not supposed to be a real thought experiment. He thought it was the stupidest fucking thing in the world. And then everybody was like, wow, what a great thought experiment. <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> so, but doesn't he also mean, though, maybe I misunderstood what you were saying. But we all kind of come to the same idea of it i was gonna yes. say conclusion but it's not the same conclusion no i agree with you completely but it, it's sort of like um it no matter okay i'm making this all science i'm sorry no matter what an electron is an electron right it is always yeah. going to be a negative charge swirling around an atom but once you perceive like the motion of the electron you can no longer perceive where it is once you perceive where it is you don't know how fast it's going. So it's sort of like we're all glimpsing different moments of this larger archetype. Are we looking at different moments or is our consciousness taking it and filtering it so it's different? Yes. No, that that is the correct words. Okay. Yes. We're saying the same thing then. Yes. Okay. Yes, we are. Yes. Okay. And the, the re- okay. This is we went on a journey there. <laughs> we got there. I do want to filter this personally through sort of the mother archetype because I think one, that's obviously something that I've been working on, but two, I think it's something that like I'm seeing a lot more in media is this idea of like people talking about the divine feminine, people talking about like the divine mother, and this idea, this moment in the introduction sort of helped ground me because I think a lot of times when you hear people talk about like, oh, the divine feminine, the divine mother, they you're getting their filter on that archetype. So for him to start from the jump and be like, this is something that you are never fully comprehending because you have to filter it through your own consciousness. It's like, damn, bro. So like mine is, is good too. <laughs> My archetype yeah. of the mother is just as good as these other archetypes of the mother. Because they're all right. the same. They're just different filters on it. Right. So are we jumping right into the mother archetype then? Which is the first Almost. one that he Let has. me say one more thing about the introduction. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I love yes. the language that he uses. And this is a personal thing. I love the way people used to write in like the early 1900s because, you know, he's referencing like alchemy. He's like, oh, well, discussing the archetypes with your patient has to be a dialectical procedure it puts them in an alchemical definition with an inner conversation with one's good angel like we don't talk like this anymore and i miss it because yes i don't think psychology should be like yeah you need to talk to your good angel now but it's a beautiful representation and sort of metaphor for this idea of like having an inner conversation with some good aspect of yourself and then, yes, let's talk about the mother. <laughs> so he says, one of the first things he says is the concept of the mother is um, 
it belongs to religion. Yeah. Which, like, thank you, psychology. Wait, but I mean, that doesn't sit right with me, really. Because people, mothers, have existed before religion. Which tells us somewhere in our unconscious might be, I don't want to use the word primal, but pre-religion, pre-thought of how we got here version. And what is that mother? What is the role of the mother? Yeah. Right? Uh, I don't think it's that different than what we have now. But what are the nuances that may have, I don't know. Because it seems like it seems like when religion takes over and when we think about the divine feminine, you know, you say that and I automatically go to this vision of like this woman dressed in white with flowers, mm-hmm. like a ring of flowers on her hair. And she's super nurturing and she has a garden and she has her children. And maybe she even has some farm animals too, right? Because she's just like Mother Earth or whatever. Mm-hmm. But... I think, especially when you think about the times of, you could die tomorrow. Like, <laughs> literally the elements could kill you, right? I feel like the mother, yes, a mother can be nurturing, but I feel like a mother's a warrior. Like, mm-hmm. a mother is the kind of person that will take you out if you threaten what she is trying to protect. And that could be the earth, that could be other humans, Right. Aside from children, obviously children are humans. I meant like I was thinking like other people in her tribe. Yeah. Right. Um, And it doesn't have to be necessarily somebody who identifies as female. It's this idea of the mother, the person that is nurturing and taking care of. I feel that instead of white, she could wear white. But if you are in the land taking care of the fields, if you are raising a child, you're not dressed in white it's going to get crapped on, right? Some, some muddy, some baby puke, some whatever. Mothers, I don't know. And to me, I'm like, we need to dig into this. Mothers are warriors. I agree. Hold on. We're having a moment. Um, Okay, so I highlighted a sentence right at the beginning of that where he's like, the symbol is obviously a derivative of the mother archetype. So he's saying this idea of like the great mother, right? The mother goddess, is actually subservient to the psychological unconscious idea of the mother archetype. I think the problem is that we've conflated the mother archetype with the concept of purity. Yes. Because if you take the need for a mother to be pure out of the equation, you get back to that sort of archetypal, primal, even mother as protectress and i i see the problem is i don't purity is not necessarily an archetype but i think it goes to show that this is a thought that i was thinking too that like the collective unconscious is not just it's more than i think just this idea of like an akashic records or the epigenetics i think the collective unconscious also references your society and like what images you're being shown and what um, ideas you're being taught and what the society finds valuable because I think you know I've talked I don't know if I've talked on here I don't remember what I talk about anymore Scorpio (laughs) 
But this idea of like, you know, you think you can't be marketed to and you're the person that's being marketed to the most. Yeah. That's this idea. Like we've been marketed this concept of like the mother as pure. And so now our collective unconscious brings up this idea of the pure mother when in reality, pure is an adjective. Pure is changing the actual mother archetype. And what is, again, what is pure, right? Pure means what? Dainty, virginal? That's coming from Christianity, this idea of the Virgin yeah. Mary. Even the right? idea of being unsullied, right? Like, I think that's coming from Christianity, too, because on what planet is a mother unsullied? I don't have a single clean right. article of clothing. Like, every single thing I've ever worn has been spit up on. There's no unsullied version of a mom. Right. And I think that that's also putting a lot of pressure when you say yeah. you're marketed to, to women who are like, I'm a terrible mom because yes. my house isn't picked up. My kids are like spit up and I don't, I, I can't even change the kid as fast as he's going to spit up on it. So kid, people are going to look at me and go, she hasn't gotten yes. her hair done. She, she looks all dirty. Her kid is running around in mud. And it's like, um, first of all, it's healthy for kids to run around outside. Uh, and like you said, where is this idea coming from that we have to be pristine as mothers? You know, one of the things, if you think about a lot of the Celtic mythology, and we're looking at Caridwen, which we've p talked about on the podcast yes. in the past. That was um, really good timing on our part. <laughs> to talk about her before this. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, I am going to turn you into a grain of a little piece of corn. I'm going to eat you up because you mess with something. You mess with my kid. Like, yeah. how is that not exactly what a mother is yeah there's also some here's somebody who has people have tried to conform her into a mother figure is the morrigan yeah okay they've tried to make her like oh you know the morrigan is she is so nurturing she is so this um everybody has nurturing in them like there's not a human being alive that cannot be nurturing there's something but you're she, going to nurture right it could be hatred, yeah. but you're nurturing that hatred. So everybody yeah. can nurture. I'm not saying the Morgan nurtures hatred. That's not what I meant. But she's not a mother figure. Another thing they try to do with the Morgan is, and I and I look at it when I, they try to sell you statues. A lot of times she's half naked, and mm -hmm. I'm like, where is that coming from? If we're gonna look mm -hmm. at her mythology, she's not a sex symbol um, goddess. So what, what are they trying to push on us? And again, this young, beautiful, what, at some point she's going to be a nurturing mom. People are not reading mythology. They're, and this is where the unconscious and the conscious can get into trouble, right? Yeah. If you want to filter every single goddess as a mother goddess, and you want to fi filter every goddess as young, there are crone goddesses, there yeah. are mother goddesses, and there are ones that you can't really put your finger on, right? Don't make her a mother. She's not quite a crone. She's tough as hell and stop sexualizing her. She's not that kind of a goddess. But if we are being told, if our collective unconsciousness, consciousness, especially if you're coming from a religious background that has that as the epitome of what a good or strong woman is, she has to be a mother. She has to be like the Virgin Mary then consciously you're going to try to project that into every goddess and you're saying to yourself, well, you know, I was trained, blah, 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 and I am this type of witch. Yeah, well, think about it. Sit with that. Sit with that. Sit with yeah. the mythology. And she, he gets into fairy tales, which I'm going to say, 
you know, when I read that, I was thinking of mythology because our fairy tales sometimes come from mythology. Let's take a minute also because it made me, it makes me think of, it's Robert Graves who wrote The White Goddess. Yes. It reminds me of reading The White Goddess and I remember being like very unhappy with this portrayal of Diana as the mom of Aradia. Because for me, Artemis, Diana, is a maiden goddess and she's a a lesbian, right? She's very much about this being against being in a marriage, being forced to fulfill that sort of Greek ideal of the mother. And it was very, I like, (laughs) I remember being a, recording that podcast being like yeah i didn't like this book i don't want to like i wasn't enjoying it and part of it is because for me that was watching somebody fit a goddess into his mother archetype and like that's it's a thing we've done historically over and over right i even i remember having a conversation with somebody who was talking about artemis as a moon goddess and i'm like yeah my artemis doesn't do that so it's not you know i'm not saying you can't but there are so many ways that we see these ideas filtered through somebody's version of an archetype that maybe don't work with our own or that aren't coming from the same place and if we're not able to say okay well this is that filter come like if you can't use the language if you don't have the language from reading young to be like oh this is a filter on this idea or this is a filter on that idea it can be like it can be pressure in the community to be like well i have to conform to that too that is how this goddess is or that is how this god is supposed to be worshipped like when in reality it's also partially the worshiper okay so i'm gonna have a problem with some of this and um i know and 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 you can worship work with however you want to call it a god any way you want but i do have a problem with people that aren't going to pick up the text when it comes to the greek gods we have mythology we it's there when it comes to almost every god or goddess that's ever been worked with worshipped however you want to say it there is mythology if you refuse to read that mythology and truly understand the people that were originally worshiping that person then I don't know, what do you gain from it? Like, I am never, ever going to fully understand the people who wrote myths on my gods and my goddesses. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to be those people. I'm going to be somebody who's living right now. I'm going to take what I can right now. But man, do I try to really go through these myths and go, what, what can I get from this? What can I get from this now? What is this telling me about the people then? What the message was, what the marketing was to people then? What can somebody like me take from it now? But I'm not going to make, I can't look at a mythology and go, well, I'm going to change it. So when you tell me things that I don't work with the Greek gods, and I understand there are a lot of Wiccans that do, or other witches that do, and they worship them differently. But I think you have to ask yourself, why am I worshiping this differently? Why am I taking this god or goddess out of context? Where am I getting that from? How is it benefiting my practice? I don't know. I just think you have to question why you're doing things in your practice. Big agree, right? I'm definitely on that team. 
But I do also, like, as a person who worships the Greek gods, I also have to contend with hundreds of years of theologizing and syncreticizing and, you know, <laughs> post-mythologizing from, um, you know, like, in- English literature across the world. Um, so I think that this text also helps with that. This idea of like, okay, well, the way that you're going to work with, say, the Morrigan is always going to be your own filter. And some people are not going to inspect that filter. They're not going to clean off the gunk on that filter. And so they're going to see a statue of the half-naked Morrigan and be like, yeah, that's my bitch. Because it's them, their filter that they're not inspecting. I also want to argue that when when you look at the um, mother archetype this way, as somebody who is just completely loving and um, selfless, she stops being a person. Agreed. She stops existing, right? So for a, a mother archetype, and that's what I feel sometimes when you do have mothers in mythology and you start messing with them so that they fit this... this uh, archetype that you have you might as well in a, in a sense shoot them in the head like they're done mm-hmm. they, they have nothing else to offer except nurturing whatever this other thing is and what makes a mother so important is it solely the function she serves for you right mm-hmm. is there no other function to the mother Okay. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if that makes any you sense. You are making sense, but I am going to say some outlandish shit right now. Oh my god, that's it. I'm out. <laughs> so, the archetypes represent archaic symbols in our collective unconscious. Right. Should not then the mother archetype not be a person? Because I think that might be the problem is this idea that you have to become the archetype when in reality it's utilizing the archetype for yourself, right? Because in our collective unconscious, it is, it's like the imprint of the idea of a mother. It's not a real human being from, it's not Eve. It's not like the first mother. So, and and I think, you know, he talks about it a little bit with babies, how, like, they're, they're not um, tabula rasa. They're not, like, blank slates. They come in with stuff. And you can see it, you know, when you meet any baby, they have their own personalities. We are supposed to be individual beings. And that stuff that comes before is helping to guide our own individual uniqueness. So... I'm really stuck on this filter idea because I almost feel like the problem is not that the mother needs to be a real mother. The problem is that people need to stop trying to be archetypes because you can't be the archetype. It's like you can call down the archetype. You could put on the mantle of the archetype. You could use that in a spell. But when you when you stop trying to be a human and you start trying to be an archetype, you're now putting all of your energy into a spell that you're never going to finish. See, but... We wrote the archetypes. Man. Man wrote Humanity, the archetypes, yeah. right? So, so, humanity. Yeah. So 
let's get away from Caridwin for a second. Let's go to Demeter. Again, old mythology, right? Going way back. She had a role and that role didn't change. However, how she performed that role changed once she had a child, right? Or really yes. when Hades stole her child, right? She's like, oh, you yes. want to do this? I'm going to fuck up your world. How's that? Oh, you don't like it? I don't care. You got your rules. Yeah. You can't come out. I got my rules. You're not going to see a damn thing grow on the earth. Goodbye. Right? Yeah. So we, di we didn't have somebody who was like, well, I love you all and... You know, I just, I want to keep peace and I want everybody to be happy. No, I don't want everybody to be happy. I want everybody to know I'm damn mad. Okay. And maybe I'm helpless, but I'm not. So suck on that. Enjoy your winter. I'm out. Okay. So yes, I agree with you. But I do think that from what Young is saying, right, he, he says the great mother is religion. The archetype yes. is before that. So even Demeter, even the Morrigan, even the goddesses are not the archetype of mother. But they're who they're the marketing for yes. humanity to understand a mother. And yes, somehow absolutely. we get away from these mothers, right? We get away from Caridwen, we get away from Demeter, and we totally even witches are getting sucked in by the marketing of the archetypal Virgin Mary type. Very much of so, goddess. Yes. Right. And that's what I think is is fascinating when we start reading about this, because you start seeing because, you know, I'll do readings, or, you know, uh, different articles or books. And I start hearing how people are representing these goddesses. And I'm like, what is going on? Am I crazy? Is that it? And then <laughs> I, I mean, go back. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. But then I try to look at mythology. and I'm like, no, I'm not crazy. You're crazy. Like, no, I, I know what I read here. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, no, I agree with that. Anyway, completely. That's it. I'm getting hung up on this. Yeah. I think well, I think in the end we're we're agreeing in that you have to inspect your relationship with mother. Right. Right, Larry. Like I think that regardless of like the psychological, philosophical <clears throat> discussion aspect of it, what Young is saying is that we all have beliefs of what a mother looks like and how a mother is supposed to act and those beliefs are unconscious to us most of the time and so if you're not inspecting your conscious thoughts you're never going to be able to affect the unconscious ones and those unconscious thoughts are going to be with you no matter what spell you're doing no matter what ritual you're doing no matter what god or goddess you're working with you have to be able to analyze those and say, all right, well, what does this actually mean to me, from me, because of me, before me? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was a lot on just the mother. <laughs> and I don't even know that we completely discussed everything that he had to say. But, you know, he does break it down. He does say those different aspects. I wrote it down here. Uh, first is the personal, your, re your relationship with your mother, your grandmother, um, any nurturing mother, right? Mm -hmm. Second, mothers in the figurative sense as goddesses, especially mother of God. Getting yes. to that, right? Then we have mythology. And he even mentions Demeter and Kore. Yeah. Devotional, kingdom of God. And the archetype can also be, be associated with fertility, which would make sense when you're talking about the Wiccan Wheel of the Year. 
right? Yes. So much of it is this idea of when things are fertile, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, he even talks about an oven, which can be a cauldron, represents the uterus. And we know that because a lot of times the symbolism for the great right is either, you know, a cauldron or a chalice, right? Something yeah. that represents like a womb-like thing. So, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And he does mention that there are also, you know, there are loving and terrible mothers. You have the Virgin Mary and you have uh, the goddess Kali. So, you know, he's not saying that there aren't different aspects to the mother. So all of that is in that section of the mother archetype. It's it's good. Now, you're going to ask yourself, if he's a psychologist, why is he writing about this? Well, some of the parts of the book that I don't think we're going to go into because it doesn't really pertain to us. But he does talk about then psychologically, what does that do for kids? right? Yeah. When kids grow up, you know, so that's the part that we're kind of leaving out. So before you think like he wrote a book for witches to look at and start examining, <laughs> no, he wrote a book that basically is trying to get at the root as to why we feel certain ways, right? How can we help kids? How can we help adults with, un, you know, diagnosed things and whatnot? Yeah, he, he does take a nice chunk of time to talk about the mother complex, which is how you right. re- are reminded that he studied with Freud. <laughs> I'm slowly scrolling through on my phone to get past the mother complex shit. <laughs> this is the problem with not having a physical book. Well, we can go right into the next thing while you get there. Yeah. Oh, actually, he talked about Christianity and Dionysus. And you've mentioned that before. Oh, yes. Because I think it's come yes, up yes, also yes. in books. Everybody's talked about that, right? Um, yes. It's really funny because when I taught um, 11 AP... We go through things, um, looking at different schools of literary criticism, and archetypal was one of the ones that I made them look at. Mm-hmm. And we're reading, I, I want to say it was Antigone, and they're like, well, this person's the Jesus figure. <laughs> and I went, is it the Jesus figure? And they're like, wait a minute, Jesus wasn't around. Oh, but we still have a Jesus figure, don't we? So what is the Jesus figure archetype? Like mm-hmm. the minute that I would see their faces just kind of go, oh, damn. You know, I mean, I have to. I'm a literature teacher. I had to go there. But it, it's kind of exciting when they realize that you're not wrong. You are seeing the Jesus archetype, but it wasn't Jesus. So yeah. what is that telling us about the mythology behind Jesus? So that's interesting. Well, I think that that is a perfect transition because it also he then goes into forms of rebirth and i think that the jesus archetype is really calling on this idea of rebirth and either yeah. you know he talks about reincarnation but also resurrection which is jesus okay i feel like we have to talk about this because when i was reading this i thought about your idea of reincarnation where we kind of like split up Right. Mm -hmm. Our souls just kind of go everywhere and they kind of regroup as like a new soul from different parts of souls. And you have which I refer to as ecological reincarnation. Exactly. (laughs) I couldn't remember what the hell you called it. So here are the five different forms. My handwriting is terrible. That's why I'm pausing because I'm like, is that an M? Metempsychosis. Transmigration of souls. Okay, so basically a life sequence interrupted by different reincarnations. And what I find fascinating about that is like that's kind of how that's kind of how I've been seeing the world before I saw this again. Mm-hmm. Like, because the other day I was talking, I think I mentioned this to you. It wasn't the other day; it was a while ago. 
And I said, I don't remember stuff that I did when I was in like high school. Like I have a general idea of the route that I used to take. I know the trains that I used to take, mm-hmm. but I could not physically like conjure up in my mind. I cannot remember like a day, like boom, 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 boom. I don't know what the bell sounded like, the change of classes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it, you can just bring that up to like college, your first job, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, isn't that what reincarnation is? Like you have this life. You remember maybe 10 years back. You remember a little bit less, 15 years back. You don't mm-hmm. even remember the best times of your life when everybody thought you were adorable, changing you, like with baby bat. There's nothing that they can do wrong. And they're perfect. And everyone is just fawning over baby bat. Then you get older and then people start telling you, why'd you do that? And it's like, but wasn't I perfect? <laughs> like a couple, you don't remember that phase, right? So if you think of our all of our lives, it's kind of like that. Like I remember this segment of this life. I don't remember five lives back. Yeah. Well, I I love that there's a difference, too, between that and reincarnation, because he's like, okay, well, reincarnation necessarily implies the continuity of of personality. So it's like, oh, that's true, too. I I mean, he's he's the professional. I just am going with what he said. I, I still am on an ecological reincarnation kick. But the idea that like, oh, the way we look at reincarnation traditionally which is that you have a life and then you die and then you go on to the next one, is not necessarily the same thing as reincarnation literally. My mother always told me that our personality stayed the same through different incarnations. So you've been like this the whole time. Oh, yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. So I used to think like, what? But then I started thinking about it. Okay, so if our lives are like that, like one life where I don't remember – The truth of the matter is, this is kind of what I was like as a kid. And Mm -hmm. my mother would always say things to me like, I don't know why you're so negative all the time. Like, you know, everything to me is like, ah, it's the end of the world. She's like, Mm -hmm. I'm not like that. Your father wasn't like that. Where do you get that from? And I'm like, because it's my personality. (laughs) It's just who I am. I'm always going to be kind of a dick. Like, that's kind of like my personality. So I want things my own way. I'm judgmental. And I probably am going to be like that through every single life. But I'm not a bad person. It's just my personality. So I kind of like that. I'm kind of going with all of these. Yeah. Then you have resur- resurrection. This one I don't j- vibe with. This this is Jesus. This is Dionysus. Yeah. This is literally you die and you come back to life. And then you have rebirth. Which is, which feels is a renewal. Oracle. Yes, this is kind of like born again. Cool, cool, Like Christians, right? That's why I took this, because it's like rebirth within the span of an individual life. So it's kind of like you have an awakening. Now I'm going to be whatever. I have a rebirth, you know, which in a way we do that when you think about it. Like my life now is so different than when I worked in an office. Like that was, you change careers. That's a rebirth. Yeah. Right? You, You move somewhere. That's a rebirth. This is why I tell my students, and I will tell everybody here, if you don't like your birthday, let's say it falls the day before Christmas, and you're like, yeah, you have the chance if you move to college, if you move to a new town, you make new friends, your birthday's the 24th. No, it isn't. When's your birthday? When would you like it to be? July July 20th. My birthday's July 20th. You can have a party on July 20th. People will give you gifts on July. Nobody has to know. Who's going to know? The only people who have to know are people that you do legal things with. But your friends yeah. and your... No, I would change it. I tell my students all the time when they complain about their birthdays. I'm like, you are going to 
in a sense, be reborn. You're going to college. You're going to a whole new existence. Yeah. When's your birthday? Who are you? If you don't like the fact that you've been painted um, a nerd, you've been painted a jock, you've been painted... When you leave your surroundings, and as adults, we do it all the time. I moved from the city up to the suburbs. I try to rebirth. Oh, my God. I had brown hair, people. I had brown hair. <laughs> so with, like, caramel that... highlights. Oh, with caramel highlights. Shut up. I'm telling you, I was trying to be, quote, unquote, an adult. I thought adults meant leaving everything behind. Yeah, I got over that phase, but I went through a phase. I had a rebirth. And then my old life came back to haunt me and said, oh, hell, we're not looking like this. What's going on with you? One of the things that I've been working on, working with, I guess, this concept is um, what you don't change, you choose. And this idea that like, okay, well, if I'm unhappy with myself, the only person who can fix that is me. If I don't like my birthday, the only person who can change that is me. No one's going to come into your life and be like, why don't we celebrate your birthday in July instead? And I think a lot of times we're waiting for someone else to like hold our hand in these situations. Um, But like you are the only person who can give yourself a rebirth. Right. Like it's it's you. You have to be you yourself have to be reborn. Otherwise, it's a resurrection. Someone else is doing it for you. Yes. Oh, I like that. There you go. Thanks. (laughs) My birthday is perfect because I am a Scorpio, so I would never want to change that. But and the fifth thing is participation in the process of transformation and indirect rebirth. Which still requires you to be a participant, and thus you still must do the thing. Yeah, they're talking about things like going to church and going to mass. That's the example he gave. Yeah. Um, And then he goes into the psychology of rebirth. He even goes to, like, a whole thing on on mass and and, and Dionysus as well. Yes. Nietzsche's Dionysus. Nietzsche's discussion of Dionysus, which that's, I don't know. I would love to... At some point, I don't know if we want to like do a bonus episode or like something, but I would love to just like have philosophy talks <laughs> because I do think I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I think philosophy is really helpful in the witchcraft process. Um, real talk. I have never read Nietzsche and I'm like not excited to, but, I, I, you know, I would. Okay. So real talk, psych major slash English major, I double majored. And then I was a philosophy minor. And I would say 90% of my electives were all about religion. I took so many classes on so many different types of religion because I felt that it all kind of like went in nicely. Like everything just kind of fit. Like, you know, when you're done with all your psych classes and you're like, oh, but I need to be at home. So you're obviously going to take philosophy. Like you just have to because he comes up. Nietzsche, Kant, he mentioned Kant here too. They, they, yeah. they, they come up. So if you don't understand, again, which is why we're doing this book, this book has come up in which books? Like, it's kind of like you're going yeah. down a rabbit hole. And and the same thing with religion. Like, there's so much talk about these different religions that I was like, well, I have to know more about religion. So And actually, before we go <clears throat> further, I do want to talk about, because uh, Scorpio sent me further reading. She, she sent articles. Okay, <laughs> to talk you can't about. see it. 
You can't see it, but she just glared at me through her phone. It wasn't like a glare necessarily. It was like, it was like softer than a glare. Further reading. <laughs> she sent me like further. I'm not glaring. I love further reading. But it was it's a really interesting article, and if I can, I'll find a way to post it for you guys. It's the development of paganism, history, influences, and contexts from 1880 to 2002, and specifically talking about Carl Jung and the development of contemporary paganism, um, talking about how Jung and Gardner were literally contemporaries, and Gardner references Jung in his books, not necessarily because these are spiritual concepts, but because Gardner was already working with them and understanding of them in a philosophical concept. So in a way, Jung's psychology builds the philosophy of Wicca, which then builds the narrative that we're working with now. And Jung helps to sort of build in our own sort of rebirth in sort of spirituality because he is giving this language that we didn't have previously and giving this um, grounding. And we talk, you know, Gardner talks that the article talks about how Young's specifically the definite, the discussion of archetypes creates a readiness to reproduce mythological ideas. And that I think is sort of going back to what I was talking about, about like, oh, well, you know, Robert Graves and Diana, like, the reproduction of mythological ideas every time is a little rebirth because a person is filtering the archetype through their own consciousness. And that built into Wicca and then therefore built into the neo-pagan movement, this deeply individualized concept where your own personal practice will always have a greater effect on you than, say, the Mass and the Eucharist does for people going to church because that is a collective experience Whereas neo-pagan movements tend to really focus on that personal experience, that individualized experience. And so for us, we almost have a better opportunity to understand and abstract those filters than people who are doing a more collective thing. Because it's always coming back to, well, what is it for me? How does it affect me? So and now that you said that, one of the things that he talks about that I think when, we, when you talk about Gardner and we say things like, well, you know, in his books, he says, you know, covens have to be, first of all, you have to be in a coven, has to be 13, has to be boy, girl, whatever the heck all this means. You need all that. But then you look at this book and this is a quote about ritual. Cult ceremony makes performance of secret events the center of group activity and prevents the crowd from relapsing into unconscious instinctuality. Gardner wanted covens because he wanted to create Wicca. And if you let witches just be traditional witches to just be solitary practitioners, you lose that control Mm -hmm. of you have to be Wiccan. So I'm not saying, well, who cares? We don't like Gardner and we all know it (laughs) right? in this podcast. We've never said a kind thing about him, except you need to read it, right? Yeah. I'm just like, you know, I, I mean... You can't hate something unless you've been exposed to it. So you have to really read them to understand. But it's also kind of smart the way he used psychological ideas to go, okay, I need to do X. We need to do ritual. We need to have ceremony. It has to be controlled. It has to be so many people. Right? Yeah. Um, He's building on mythology. He's building on psychology. Pretty smart. 
And I think we've, we've seen the way that spirituality and paganism will take scientific and psychological concepts and incorporate them much more prevalently in the last, you know, 20 years. This is another sort of situation of, okay, well, you need to read, you need to read what came first. So if you're going to be out there like, oh, yeah, I believe in like particle physics and like string theory and stuff. All right, well, to even get as far as we've gotten in woo-woo science, you had to start with Jung. You had to start with these guys in, you know, the early 1900s who were all kind of in the same circle talking about the same stuff because Jung's discussion of collective unconscious is what bridges the gap spiritually between an individual person and this idea that like everything is connected through (laughs) strings in the ether and time is a construct and all of this like you know physics that is now becoming part of pagan jargon like Carl Jung is the Gerald Gardner of that branch of spirituality oh my god I love that (laughs) how cool is that Carl Jung is the Gerald Gardner. I like this. All right. And in the same way, he writes a bunch of shit that is super gross. (coughs) And you have to just be like, yikes. (laughs) Yeah, but what's nice is, I think, is that we're telling you guys. So if you pick up this book, you're not like, what are they recommending? Hey, go back. Because whether we like it or not, especially if we're going to build... A community that is better yeah. than the community that came before. Then we have to understand where they came from, be able to dismantle it in a way that makes sense because they're in our heads. I guess that's yeah. basically what I'm trying to say. This stuff is yeah. in our heads and we have to at least look at it and go, oh, damn, is that where I got this idea from? This is where I got this idea of the mother. This is where I got the idea of, okay, good. I have a better understanding now. We can dismantle it better now. Yeah. Because we are you know, having a lot of conversation. I do think that we should probably save uh, the trickster for another episode if anybody's interested. It's a really big concept. It's a pretty problematic concept. There's just a lot to talk about. And we're already at an hour. So I don't I don't want to talk y'all's ear off. But if you do want to hear us discuss the trickster, reach out on Instagram, reach out through email. Uh, it's definitely something we're interested in and something we'd be willing to talk about more in depth. Yeah, I had a lot of feelings and a lot of I was like, at one point, I'm like, this is racist. Then another point, I'm like, okay, no, I see what he's saying. And then another point, I'm like, okay, this is anti-Semitic. Then I'm like, no, okay, I see what he said. It's like, yeah, it's really complicated. It's, it's, it's like, hard. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah. So if people are interested, but I also wanted, I, I'm glad that you said that because if people are like, ah, eh, we don't need to hear anymore, and you pick up the book and you're like, wait a minute, why didn't they talk about? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's that would have to be its own podcast. There's a lot to take apart there, um, because. Again, I think the problems I was having with him is not so much that he's being racist or anything. I think, again, it was how they how they spoke, how they kind of like said things, because then he would write something else and I'd go, OK, that's not what he meant. Does yeah. that make any sense? So yes. I'm like, OK, he didn't he didn't mean to sound racist. It's he meant just, to do. So <laughs> there's a lot of work in the, unpacking what's the actual racism and what's just right. the way they talked about things. So basically, the trickster part is tricky. So we're going to, if you want it, you like that? If you want Mm -hmm. it, email us, send us a message on Instagram, and we'll do a whole episode on that. If not, like you just said, let's just finish with um, Spirit in Fairy Tales. He does a great analysis of the word spirit, which 
I appreciated because he points out it's it's a lot. It's such a wide range of application that like what quite is a spirit? Okay. My favorite of the definitions, because he talks about being spirited, right? Like yes. you've got a great spirit or something like that. That's different. Spirit as a ghost. And then yes, spirit. The, the, the principle that stands in opposition to matter. Yeah. The fact that it says opposition, I know he doesn't necessarily mean like opposing, like I, I'm against you type of thing. But in a way, it could also be that. I like the... So we talk a lot in witchcraft about like the male-female binary, right? The masculine, feminine, the yin-yang. I, I would like us to do this more. I think this is a better binary <laughs> for us to be latching onto the idea of like spirit physical. Spirit mass, spirit matter, like that binary, I think, could easily fill the role that people are using like masculine feminine for. All right. So let's start a thing. This is the binary we're into. Spirit versus matter. <laughs> the witch space That's it. binary. That's the witch space Which one binary. Are you? When we talk, you know, I'd like to think I'm spirit. That's cool, because I would so... like to think that I'm matter. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> are you not? Are we? Do we think we're the other one, but we're? You think you're spirit, but you're matter, and I think I'm matter, but I'm spirit. I think so. <laughs> I really do. I really do. Um, well, let's go that. into this. Let's. Yeah. Because I just I feel like. I feel like the dumbest things are important to me, like the most materialistic dumbest things. And then, like, I feel like you are all about these concepts and all about this. You know what I'm saying? Like, thinking that's about fair. No, that's fair. something else. So, yeah, I think I would love to be spirit, but I think I'm mostly matter. And I think, yeah, you think that you're ma- you're mostly spirit. Like, you're like, I think, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what are we oh, talking about? Yeah, explain. <laughs> so it's it's in the modern text, he says, it's like thinking about life and death. Yeah. But now let's say it again, because when you think of life and death, you think, oh, life is your body, right? I am alive. And then death is when I'm spirit. Or is it the other way around? Is it matter is what dies? The spirit is what lives. Yeah. So it's like this constant, you know, you got your peanut butter in my chocolate. No, you have your chocolate in my peanut butter type of thing. Yeah. How are you seeing the relationship? Um, he said that in, in the beginning, like he says, primitive man. He doesn't really tell you when primitive man was, though. That's the thing that I'm always like. Primitive man to me is like what during the Renaissance. Like, what what is primitive man to him? Cavemen. Oh no, yeah, cavemen. So I'm primitive man, a spirit was outside of the person. They had no concept that spirit was also part of them. If you think about like um like chakras, energy centers, that they have like a concept of that. Like the crown is literally above your head. And that's like your most spiritual center. And of course, he says, because of that, as time goes on, um, this concept gets lodged in your, 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 what does it say? In your consciousness. Yeah. I was looking at my own notes. Again, I can't read my <laughs> notes. I'm going to have to start typing my notes. I can't even handwrite anymore. <laughs> and then he says, once the spirit becomes an archetype, then what? Yeah. Because... Because then he goes into dreams. And this is where I'm going to say the truth. He lost me. Okay. The old man in the dreams. All right. What is going on? Okay. So now spirit in my, in my consciousness has become this thing outside of me. This thing that can come at me. And then when I dream, mm-hmm. 
I have this dream of this old man. And this old man can be really helpful or he can be hurtful. I don't know where he's going with this, to be honest with you. Okay, for me, it was like your dreams are the way that you access the um, collective unconscious in its most pure form. Um, I'm, I think the old man is kind of like, uh, he, you know, he talks about the father complex, kind of like that masculine archetype. Um, but then it's, it's psychology. So I guess it's like, if he's mean to you, then you had a bad dad, like you have a daddy issues kind of vibe. Yeah, but, but the problem I have here is that he keeps fixating on these dreams, how like, we kind of manifest all these different things in our dreams, right? We, we yeah. bring out our issues in our dreams. Dude, I've never dreamt with an old man. Like, I've never had... And that's just one dream. He talks about a bunch of dreams. And I'm sitting here. And this is somebody who can tell you pretty much almost every night. More often than not, I have remembered my dreams. I dream... I recall my dreams almost every night. I've never had half of the things that he talks about. And yet, this is supposed to be helpful for people because he chose the examples that are most prevalent. So... You know, to for me to even try to grasp at some of the things he was saying, to try to go, okay, well, when I have the dream with the old man, he's always helped me. What old man? So I, again, I don't have TikTok anymore, but I do uh, watch TikToks on Instagram Reels, like the 80-year-old woman that I am. And I saw one this morning. I saw, I saw one this morning that was, the sound was basically like, you have to remember that all of psychology is predicated on the idea that you behave like an old white man. And so all of my diagnoses I take as compliments. But like, I think that's another thing that we have to recognize about Carl Jung is like, he's coming at, like his whole analysis is coming from primarily dealing with male patients. Yes, that's true. That is true. So like, maybe they have a lot of, maybe dudes have a lot of dreams about old men. Hey guys that listen to our podcast. I was going to go off on spirit again. And then I looked down and I'm like, Jesus crucifixion fairy tale. And I was like, what? So he starts talking about triads and he talks about this dream of the raven getting crucified. Yeah, it's a weird one. Yeah. Right? Three nails. And that's really means like Jesus. It's supposed to be Jesus being crucified. Yeah. I mean, I think that Why anyone a... getting crucified is supposed to be Jesus at this point. But then, th- but think about all the triads that we do have, like the Father, yes. Son, and the Holy Ghost, Maiden, Mother, Crone. Like, you know, mythology's yeah. filled with this. What I found weird was this whole idea of, okay, so the triad, I'm going to say this wrong probably. So it's a masculine energy inside of a female energy? Mm-hmm. What? But I'm just like... Again, but I think that's just my problem is just like, why does it have to be masculine energy? Why are we classifying energy this way? Because it's 1920 something. That's true. It's like a hundred. That's why, Uh, you know, I think I personally like and work with the sort of spiritual philosophical concepts of masculine and feminine. Um, For me, I think that makes sense. I was I was a huge tomboy growing up and i'm very femme now and it's kind of my own personal journey of like working with those ideas i think for a lot of people in the past those philosophical and spiritual concepts had so much more weight you know like being a man 
meant something much more than I think it means now. Being a woman means meant something so much more than it means now. And I mean, even looking back, like you couldn't as a woman have a bank account without your dad until like the 1950s and 1970s or something. So for us, yeah, why do these energies need to be there? But for them, even the idea of being like, oh, well, there's masculine inside of the feminine, that's that's like kind of subversive. I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, here's the thing. All right. This is just me. You need to say that there's a masculine inside of a feminine because if women start realizing that the real mother archetype, <laughs> okay, yes. let's go back to the mother. If the real mother archetype is going to destroy you, well, then we have to give it a name. Let's call it masculine because if we don't, well, women might realize they don't need us. And if they don't need us, we're going to be in a whole world of problems. And that's where it all comes down to. Yeah. So then, because I can kind of understand the idea of like, okay, Jesus is the feminine. God is the masculine and the Holy Ghost is the mix. But like. Then where's the feminine? Jesus is the feminine. Jesus is taking oh, on the sins sorry, of, you said that. Okay. of humanity, so Jesus is the feminine. The, the father, father is the masculine. Okay. But, like, if I'm trying to impose that on maiden mother crone, I don't think it works as well. Because, like, the mother has to be the feminine. The crone is the masculine, right. and then the maiden is both? I would think so. But the maiden could also be the masculine, and the crone could be both. I feel like I would prefer the crone to be both, because then it's like a journey... To reach that kind of, like, integrated self. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's the problem. Is that this makes that sense. You, If you don't resonate with the ideas of feminine and masculine, this shit doesn't make sense. Right. And I think, I think you know, it's the year of our but Lord 2023. I don't know that anybody resonates with the idea of feminine and masculine at the same level that Jung did. But then fem feminine and masculine are really archetypes in themselves. Like, we have created yeah. this idea of what it means. So we have to sit and unpack what does what do those terms mean? Forget society wherever you're living. Culturally, throughout time, what have these yeah. things meant? Well, and then it's then it's turtles all the way down is the problem because everything is an archetype. The mother is an archetype that is based on femininity as an archetype and then femininity is based on you know, you could break that down into other archetypes. This you could break you know, if we're talking about rebirth as a concept could be its own archetype, then purity can be an archetype. And then now you have to unpack purity wrapped in with True. femininity. Like, it just becomes peeling away the layers of an onion. And this is why I think we need to talk about philosophy. Because <laughs> people are onions. Okay, what what this has done is I think it's just at this point, it's, it's, it's broken my mind. Like to think about anything. Yeah, like real talk, um, here's the problem. You don't read Young to get an answer. You are reading this text right. to catch the vibe of early Wicca, of early paganism, and to personally identify and unpack your relationship with like the concept of archetypes. There is no right answers. You do not come yeah. to this for right answers. No. No. I think, if anything... 
I think this is a good book to read when you feel that you have established yeah. yourself, right? Like in your mind, this is what I believe. Like I've decided that this is the path I'm yes. going to take. Because I think if you started to read this book as a baby witch, when you're still trying to figure out, do I want to work solitary? Do I want to work in a coven? What type of coven? What type of witch? Am I a traditional witch? Am I a Hellenic witch? And then you add yeah. this to it, you won't go anywhere. You won't do anything. But I think once you're established yourself yeah. in your mind, and I don't want to say established like now you're you know famous for whatever, like you're established and you know who you are. Now go back and ask yourself, do I... Do I really know what things might I want to yeah. work on? I agree. You know, um, I think it's a good book. For but that. it's a, it's a lot. And I think, you know, I hope that our our listeners can tell based on the way this conversation has gone that it's a lot. Um, you know, sometimes we get a book and it's like, hey, we can really succinctly explain what happened and talk about why we like it. But this is the kind of book that, like, you should probably get some post-it notes. <laughs> You should probably get some post-it notes. And like I said before, this book, literally, my version is, I have to look at how many pages this is, 151 pages. And we couldn't get to the yeah. fourth section, which is actually the shortest section. But we couldn't get to it because of time. Um, and I know we have just touched the tip of the iceberg on this. I think that if we were just hanging out, we would have yeah, an all-day conversation like hours and hours. about this book. Yeah. So I don't know if this has helped anybody. If anybody, now people are going to be like, I'm not reading no, that but you crazy know what? crap. Like that's way Please too much. Please reach but... out. And like, if you have read it, what's your take? If you haven't read it, what was your take of, you yeah. know, this episode? But I really think that like sometimes, sometimes doing the work is us sitting down and being like, uh, well, this is how I think it went. And this is what I think this means. And some we're not going to come to a nice, like neat conclusion. And I think yeah, <laughs> I don't think you have to listen to anything you don't want to, but like, I think it's important to listen to stuff like this to be like, oh, I'm gonna grapple with books sometimes. That's what we did. We grappled with this motherfucker. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I gotta say this for the first time. Now at the end of this podcast, I'm like, I'm kind of jealous of Gerald Gardner for being alive when Carl Young was alive. I'm Yes. No, I mean, I can't imagine what it was like to read this book. There's no, there are no books yeah. on witchcraft. There's no discussion about witchcraft. I mean, there might be discussion, but I'm saying, you know, I to have this book and go, wow, huh. And then with ceremonial magic, start yeah. putting things together and start decide. And even like I said, that little bit of manipulation i want to be a cult cool. leader like, oh, need ritual huh? i would be so good at it yes not literally not legally no one come for me <laughs> you know i thought i was a good good cult leader and then uh, they're kind of unhappy and i'm having a hard time feeding them i'm talking about <laughs> the switch game cult of the lamb if anybody's playing cult of the lamb um also reach out and tell me what are your takes on it i really like it I thought everything was going well, and then people are like, we're hungry, and I'm like, I don't know why I can't get more food, and I really don't know what's happening right now, but I'll get through it, just like I got through this book, and I hope that you guys, <laughs> you know, enjoyed our skating. Definitely keep an eye out on Instagram, because I think I'm going to try to be in the stories for this one a little bit, ask some questions, have some, like, conversations, because I just think this is bigger 
than we could possibly address in an hour and 15 minutes. I think it's bigger than a podcast could address at all, honestly. Yeah. And I may be on there showing you um, screenshots of Cult of the Lamb <laughs> and how I go on my crusades. Yes, please. And thank you. Yes. That's my new obsession. Do that. Yeah. That's my new obsession. That's my downtime. Well, thank you, Scorpio, for listening to me talk a bunch of shenanigans. Well, thank you for putting up with my coughing. I, we figured out this is the first time since we've recorded that I, any yeah. one of us has been sick. I have a cold. I've been tested. It's just a cold. But yeah. So we did it. Yay. Thank you so much to all of you for being such an amazing audience. Um, obviously, keep reaching out. Hit us up in the emails. Hit us up in the Instagram DMs. Anytime you see us in public, stop by. Say hi. Give us a hug. We love seeing you. We love talking to you. Thank you to Kano and Moore for our intro and outro music. And remember, if you're following the moons, you're following us. <laughs>